0: Welcome to the Mattcast. You're listening to a podcast that strives to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson so glad you can join us today. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts, uh, certainly would appreciate a five-star rating and review. It is very helpful to us. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. The dictionary defines pastor as, quote, a person having spiritual care of a number of persons. Well, while I appreciate the attempt at a definition, it is clear that whoever wrote this definition has never been a pastor. Uh, I used to say that about the old Lionel Richie song. I used to say there's no way Lionel Richie was ever a pastor because no way a pastor would write easy like Sunday morning. (laughs) The, uh, The calling of pastor is so much more complex than... Um, a nine or ten word definition. I know this line has been used by the Peace Corps in the past, but I do think pastoring is the toughest job you will ever love. As we're wrapping up our month-long series for pastor appreciation, I want to pay tribute to those men and women who dedicate themselves to shepherd a community of believers and the hard work that they do. I was watching a documentary about the world famous Running of the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain. Each year it coincides with the San Fermin Festival that runs over eight days in July. Now tradition says the practice of the running of the bulls dates back in Spain to the 14th century when men who were transporting cattle to sell to market would use tactics of fear and excitement to make the cattle move faster. Well, eventually the practice became tied to sport and for some, even religious achievement. Uh, The daring stunt was popularized uh, to Americans by Ernest Hemingway in his novel, The Sun Also Rises. Today, it involves people who run ahead of a group of bulls, there's usually 12 of them, uh, through cordoned off streets that eventually lead to the bull ring of the historic city now if you have ever seen video of the feat you know that there are two main participants in this tradition i've named them both the bulls and the runners the bulls are enormous with long horns uh, the herd runs through the streets at an average speed of 15 miles per hour that's pretty good for a big bull they have been trained for this very purpose. Uh, runners are required to be at least 18 years old, run the prescribed route, not incite the bulls, and not be under the influence of alcohol. They are required to wear white clothing, uh, accented with red scarves and wristbands. Now, some of the runners will also carry a uh, rolled up newspaper in order to divert attention away from the bulls. The length of the run is 903 yards uh, long, going through four streets of the old part of the city. Most of the runners will only do a portion of the run, while some try to lead the bulls all the way into the bull ring. It is sort of the ultimate triumph. Each year brings injuries to the runners, and yes, there have even been a handful of deaths along the way. But did you know there was also a third group involved in the running of the bulls? Well, I didn't either until I watched this documentary. But if you look closely, you will see them. They almost blend into the scenery, but uh, the runners are wearing whites, but you will see these few people all wearing green t-shirts and they have like long wooden rods or staffs in their hands and they are right in the thick of it with the bulls and the runners and they are they span the entire run by the way and I, and as i'm watching this and these guys with the green shirts i had to laugh when i noticed on the back was imprinted this pastores p a s t o r e s pastores no kidding These men in green shirts are literally pastores or shepherds of these bulls who run in the festival. Uh, I read an interview with a uh, premier pastor of these bulls, a shepherd. He indicates that the role of the pastor is to keep the bulls together in a herd at all times, to make sure they keep moving forward and occasionally protect them from the the rowdy crowd and onlookers off to the side and that is not easy from what they say because these bulls are not ordinary farm animals they are they're bred to fight and they can weigh up to 1300 pounds Uh, they possess razor sharp horns great intelligence and incredible peripheral vision So the rod in the pastor's hands is used more to keep the bulls on task, but occasionally to smack the hands of overzealous runners or members of the crowd. Now in case you're wondering, I have actually just read the job description of church pastors. I mean, pastors are dealing with a mighty herd called the church. And in Christ, we have been bred to fight, but to fight our spiritual enemy. And when we stay on task and when we move forward, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. But there are distractions along the way. There are those who try to distract or even anger the bull. And it is the job of the pastores to redirect the people of God and occasionally smack the hand of those who wish harm to the Lord's cause. As you can guess, it requires constant vigilance. Now, what is most difficult is when a bull turns on the pastor. Not every person is necessarily focused on the run. There are times in doing this pastoring thing when the people we serve get angered by something and they may point their horns in the general direction of the pastor. Every shepherd at some point gets stomped on or even gored once or twice. It is then that the pastores have to decide whether this is just a profession or it's a calling. If it is the latter, then we allow Jesus to heal our wounds, we get the help that we need, and we keep going. We do not withdraw, we do not direct the bulls, From the safe height of a street balcony to keep ourselves protected, we get on the road with them and do what we do best because it is the only way that it works. Pastors cannot live in fear of what the bull might do to them. They live in the hope of what the bull can do through and for God. Look, it isn't pretty and what we see behind the pulpit on Sunday is probably 5% of the job. You don't see or hear them on their knees praying for you, that you won't be distracted by unhealthy outside things, that you will find healing from the Lord for all the spiritual, mental, and emotional hurts in your life, and that you will fulfill God's mission. You don't see the weighty decisions that have to be made regarding those in leadership who are struggling. You don't feel the constant spiritual weight that they have upon them as they feel responsible for the spiritual health of every member. You don't know the hurt they carry over the departure of people and families in whom they have invested years of their lives. You don't hear the spiritual counsel that they are required to give people every hour of every day. It is an immense job and there is spiritual danger all around. But it is the toughest job they'll ever love. From a letter dated August 28th 2018 a wife writes to her departed husband it's only been three days nothing can take away the suffocating pain I feel now you are gone I see you everywhere I replay the events of that fateful day over and over again in my mind wishing I could have done things differently wishing I could have held your hand one more time and prayed over you and told you how much I love you, how much I believe in you. You were right all along. I truly didn't understand the depths of your depression and anxiety. I didn't understand how real and how relentless the spiritual attacks were. The pain, the fear, and the turmoil you must have been dealing with every single day is unimaginable. The enemy knew what an amazing man you were. The enemy knew God had huge plans for your life. The enemy saw how God was using your gifts, abilities, and unique teaching style to reach thousands of lives for him. The enemy hated it, and he pursued you incessantly, taunting you and torturing you in ways that you were unable to express to anyone. I want to tell you from the depths of my heart and my pain, I am so sorry. I am so sorry you were so scared. I am so sorry you felt so alone. I am so sorry you felt misunderstood. I am so sorry you felt betrayed and deeply hurt by the words and actions of others. I am so sorry you were fighting a dark spiritual war virtually alone. I am so sorry you were unable to fully get the help and support you needed. This is part of a letter written by Kayla Steckline to her husband, Andrew, who had taken his own life three days earlier, leaving behind a wife and three boys and a church asking lots of questions. He was only 30 years old. He was pastoring a thriving church in California, and it devastated their church community and even made national news. On the surface, they looked like a family that belonged on the cover of a catalog. Beneath the surface, Pastor Andrew dealt with pronounced mental and emotional health issues. Here is how Haley Branson Potts from the Los Angeles Times described his struggles. His sermons were streamed online, and the family lived publicly, posting often to social media about their personal lives. The postings attracted unwanted attention. Last fall, a stalker showed up to his mother Carol's house, where Andrew grew up, and upset the family. Carol had to sell the house. Andrew's downward spiral began. He didn't sleep. He was irritable, anxious, losing weight. He thought it was hyperthyroidism, an issue he dealt with in high school with similar symptoms. He just needed a diagnosis and he could fix it, he thought. Just before Andrew led several Easter services, a friend found him on the bathroom floor of the church, hyperventilating, his hands and feet numb. He still preached. Few knew he was having panic attacks several times a week. One afternoon, Andrew was in his room working on a difficult sermon. Someone called and said the flooring for their new house would be delayed. Then a doctor called and said his blood work came back. He did not have hyperthyroidism. He fell into a full-blown panic attack. Kayla took him to the hospital and he was wheeled in wearing sunglasses, paranoid someone from the church would see him. The doctor who saw him happened to go to their church. His test results came back frustratingly normal. The church elders decided that night to let Andrew go on leave. When a psychiatrist diagnosed him with depression, it came as a relief, at least it was an answer. Kayla confided to a friend that summer that her house felt like a hostile environment. They were still unpacking from their recent move. The young boys were rambunctious. Andrew was unpredictable. She said a lot of days he'd get up and work out and try hard and end up in the bedroom crying and listening to worship music. Andrew spent the summer talking to a psychiatrist, pushing himself to get better. He set August as a deadline to get back to the pulpit. The church was packed as he spoke about his depression on his first Sunday back. On August 23rd, a staffing issue came up. It was a trigger. Andrew relapsed. His mother came to get him, and he was crying, yelling. She took him to a hotel room for some quiet. Kayla and his siblings later joined. He couldn't calm down. Andrew went back to the church where friends sat with him all night. The next morning with Andrew in his office, Carol, his mother, Kayla, and the couple's two youngest sons sat on a playground on the church campus, talking about their next plan. Kayla texted him and said they all loved him. 40 minutes went by, but they didn't hear from him. Kayla saw a staff member's car go by, And five minutes later, a police car followed. An officer jumped out, holding a defibrillator. Kayla ran in. Andrew's face was gray. She screamed. Carol ran in. She fell to her knees. Kayla begged God for him to wake up. She declined to say how Andrew killed himself, hoping to spare her sons from that knowledge as long as she can. Andrew died at Pomona Valley Hospital, where he was born. This occurred in 2018, and since then, two other high-profile pastors have taken their own lives. We could spend hours talking about causes, handling stress, internal and external pressures, but the truth is that mental illness is real. And in the church, we need to realize that the vast majority of mental illness does not involve being institutionalized. There are often physiological things about the brain that are just as real as a broken bone or a severed artery. We have to be okay with pastors being more Clark Kent than Superman. I know Kayla Steckline is using this tragedy to have a broader conversation about mental health in the ministry and my hope is that we will have that. There are few things worse than a pastor who feels trapped. Someone with the constant demands of bringing forth spiritual depth, living at the highest moral level, and giving constant great spiritual counsel while unable to find a way to refill their own tank. They feel like they wanna leave, but they don't wanna devastate their church, or even financially put himself, herself, or their family at risk by doing so. Trapped, which only exacerbates the problem pastor don't let the financial outweigh the mental emotional and physical we all want you around whether you're our pastor or you take a job in the marketplace we want you around and so does your savior he loves you as you not for what you do for him whatever you have to do to find health do it even if that involves stepping away from pastoral ministry. Like David in the Psalms, pour your heart out in brutal fashion to the Lord. Find godly friends, as I talked about in the previous episode. Find good Christian psychological help and even medications that can stabilize or regulate your physiological condition. Whatever the cost, it is a pittance compared with the cost of losing you. Lose the cape, put on your glasses and fedora and allow yourself to be Clark Kent again.
1: Everything I broken me I try I try to hide You
0: every pastor desires in their work and it is three words but these three words can be so elusive it's really not all that different from parenting or mentoring anytime you involve yourself in the people business we have chosen the most volatile commodity in which to invest day trading has nothing On ministering to people they have free will and regardless of the example that we have set time we have devoted and love we have demonstrated we are never guaranteed our investment will pay off and often pastors can go years wondering if anything they have done has ever made a difference and the enemy is only too happy to insert his false narrative that we have contributed nothing to eternity. But if we turn to Jesus and allow him to interpret our events, if we keep a running dialogue with him, we will realize that he will find ways to give us those elusive three words. I remember a Sunday morning for me when nothing went right. I went to a terrific church to be their guest speaker one morning, but it all ended up being a comedy of errors. I had sent my visual slides to the church ahead of time so they could be loaded onto their computer. But something had gone wrong, and so I was forced to manually get them onto the church computer before the service, which ended up taking about 10 to 15 minutes. Now, the the gal who was running the computer (laughs) expressed her displeasure saying uh, she would normally have slides running right now on the screen in the church quote if someone wasn't on the computer doing what should have been done earlier end of quote ah there's nothing like the love of jesus Um, so i finished and got out of her way and order was temporarily restored to the galaxy During my message as I was speaking to the church, I was talking about how in church the message always remains the same, but that our methods sometimes have to change. And I alluded to a Facebook post I had read that week from someone who was lamenting that their church was not going to do their usual Christmas production. And I used that post to illustrate that we need to let those things go when the time comes. Well, later I found out that the guy who actually posted that on Facebook was from that church. And uh, yep, you guessed it. He was in the sanctuary while I was talking about it. Strike two. (laughs) Even after the service, uh, the associate pastor and I went out for lunch to a restaurant. And I had my arm sort of draped across uh, the booth that I was in. um, And there was another booth attached to it. Suddenly, a guy at that next booth got my attention and asked me to lower my arm because, quote, you haven't done it yet, but I know you're going to hit my mother in the head. Yeah, it was that kind of morning. But something ended up going very right. Because right after the service, something happened that I wasn't expecting. I was at my book table in the lobby when a young man walked up to me. He said, you probably won't remember me. And he reintroduced himself to me. And he said, you spoke at my youth retreat four years ago when I was a senior in high school. I was debating whether I was called into the ministry. You prayed for me that night and the Lord used that prayer to confirm his calling on my life. I just finished Bible school and I'm actually interviewing to be a youth pastor here at this church, which by the way, he became. (laughs) He said, thanks for your obedience to the Lord. On reflection, I vaguely remember the moment, but I definitely do not remember what I prayed or said, but look what the Lord did through it. And that brings me back to those three elusive words that I think every pastor desires. And it's this, fruit that remains. Every quality pastor I've ever known wants something more than nice attendance numbers. They want fruit that remains. It doesn't fall off. It doesn't rot through life experiences. And even though we're not the Holy Spirit, we want to know that someone we interfaced with is still a thriving believer 20, 30, and more years beyond. Pastor, you may not be famous or on the speaking circuit. Thomas Nelson may not be calling you to publish a book that you write. You may not be an Instagram influencer, but I want you to know that you are a people influencer because of the Lord you do have fruit that remains. Would you take some time to allow God to remind you of the good you have done through his enablement? I don't think that's pride. I think it's remembering the faithfulness of God and our role on the stage. All praise and glory go to the Lord, but he wanted you to enjoy it and be a part of it too. So thank him for victories won. Remember them and thank him for them. Thank Him for changed lives. No matter how difficult things are right now, the Lord values your faithful excellence, not fame and riches. It's okay if there's only 30 bodies in front of you on Sunday morning. Jesus did a whole lot with less than half that. Go for quality over quantity. Don't settle for easy shortcuts. Keep preaching the word. Keep going to deeper places. Keep challenging them in their worship and devotion and love for the gospel because you want fruit that remains. Keep being the shepherd you've been called to be. Keep directing people's attention to the one who died for them, not to yourself. Let Jesus ultimately be their hero because he will never let them down. And even if you feel broken and spent, Remember that Jesus loves broken things. He loves putting them back together and that his grace is sufficient for you. Thanks for joining us in this tribute to our pastors. and We also appreciate you being a part of the Madcast. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information on our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.